The Optometry Talks podcast series is brought to you by Optometry New South Wales ACT, your peak professional body. Good afternoon and welcome to Series 3, Episode 1 of Optometry Talks, Enhancing Your Business Mindset. I'm Andrew McKinnon, CEO at Optometry New South Wales ACT, and today I'm joined by one of our member optometrists, Lily Benjanovsky, and also by Audrey Malloy, one of the optometrists from our team here at Optometry New South Wales ACT. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Andrew. Um, One of the great paradoxes of the optometry profession in Australia is that practitioners emerge from uni highly skilled in clinical matters, but often with not much of an understanding of how real business works. Yet more than 90% of new grads will be employed by either a corporate or an independent, both of whom generate their revenue and pay their staff largely from the sale of optical appliances, ranging from spectacle frames and lenses to contact lenses, solutions, accessories and other things. There can be a real disconnect for early career optometrists who may have pictured themselves solely as clinicians but find there's now this retail sales element to it. Lily, was that your experience when you graduated? Um, Do you think it's changed much since then? It has, Andrew. Um, Having said that, though, I don't think there was a big emphasis on business when I graduated, but I do remember when I started working, uh, particularly in Perth for a small group um, of practices, independent practices, uh, we used to have monthly um, awards for different types of uh, targets and things like that. And I remember the practice owner saying, well, how come you're a recent graduate and you keep winning these awards? And I said, there's no secrets there. The reason is that uh, I'm treating the patients as I would want to be treated and treating the practice as if it was my own practice. And that's certainly something that they had instilled in me. So um, that's still held me in good stead all these years. But I wonder whether that's some of the uh, disconnect that's happening more recently without understanding about lenses and frame selections, which certainly I got trained in when I started at that practice. Okay. Audrey, there's a misconception that optometry is unique in healthcare in that profits are linked to sales, but that isn't the case, is it? No, Andrew, it's certainly not the case. I mean, I think, I think pharmacies are the obvious one where a large proportion of revenue is generated from product sales. But if you think about it, there are significant revenues derived from appliances and products with a whole range of allied health practitioners, from podiatrists physiotherapists, dermatologists, and so on. Um, Dentists are a little different to optometrists in that they set their own consult fees independent of Medicare, whereas optometrists are largely tied to Medicare, whether they like it or not. And the other difference with dentists is that their appliances and products like crowns and veneers and and, um, whitening are actually happening inside your mouth. So it's, um, it's less tangible than a pair of glasses in your hand. But dentists still make much of their revenue from these products and services and not just from the consultation. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. It's particularly the one about it's, uh, it's inside your mouth so you don't see the product you just paid a fortune to buy. Um, Lily, in terms of business, I mean, you're, you're involved now with the IQ group and, and that's, that's unashamedly um, a business-oriented group, which quite a few, we, and we have quite a few of those in optometry. A business mindset doesn't have to be at odds with what's best for the patient, does it? 
Um, absolutely not, Andrew. There is, um, there's no conflict or compromise of integrity, integrity when it comes to providing the best solution for your patients' problems. But it actually does go to the heart of uh, who we are as optometrists and what we're doing. Um, we're very lucky, oh, very fortunate as optometrists is a very... Um, Optometry is a very trusted profession. You know, surveys continually bring up the health professions as trusted professions um, that are done across the community. But that trust has to be uh, authentic. And I might actually use a little dental story, given that uh, Audrey suggested dentists a moment ago, um, a personal experience, because I think it's always helpful to think about your own circumstances um, as optometrists, if we were a patient somewhere else and how we view um, the, the interaction. Um, I've actually lived in three states and one of the difficulties when you move into state is having to find new um, professions or services, uh, doctors, hairdressers. <laughs> and uh, so when I was in Perth very, very early on um, and suddenly a pain in the mouth, it was, and I knew it was the, uh, is the, is the wisdom truth, okay, here's a problem, I'm going to have to see a dentist. Didn't have a dentist. So the optometrist I was working with um, recommended someone locally and I rang up um, and went there on my lunch break and in I went, uh, dentist promptly told me how much it would be to have the wisdom tooth removed. And the next thing he said was, oh, you know, you, you probably had tetracycline as a child because I had discoloured teeth, which is true. Out came a photo album. He started showing me all sorts of cosmetic um, dental procedures he could do on me. Um, I was in there quite a while because he was turning lots of pages of the uh, photo album. Out I came and the consultation was more expensive than I had expected. And when I queried that with the front desk, they said, oh, well, you, in, you were in there for a longer consultation, even though you booked for a short one. And I said, well, I saw a photo album I didn't ask to see, got quoted on a job I didn't need, um, thanks very much, and went, went back to work, took a few Panadols and hoped the pain would go away. But, of course, a week later I still had the pain and needed to see a dentist and found another one. And uh, it was also local and eventually that dentist and I became each other's patients. And it was someone I trusted. I immediately found that he, he asked a lot of questions. He sorted out the initial problem. And years later, when I actually cracked a front tooth, had, had root canal treatment, did actually need to have some whitening procedures on the front teeth because of that, I never once queried the price because he's a person that I trust. Mm. And that took um, a little bit more on his part to, to, to bring that trust or to gain that trust. Um, but one of the other interesting things is I shared that story with the original optometrist who had referred me to her dentist and she became his patient, my dentist's patient, as have many other people that I spoke with. And I think that's one of the key aspects is asking lots of questions, getting to know your patients has to be very genuine to build that trust. So while optometry is, is no different to many other businesses, it is, in, it is a business. We're selling ourselves, our services, as well as who we are, our reputation, our skills, our knowledge, and, and also our products. And, um, and I think for optometrists, it's so important to understand that patients come to us because they expect those skills and knowledge and experience and guidance because they don't know what they don't know, but they expect us to know and to get to know them to be able to make th those options available. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. Trust is just so critically important. Um, Audrey, 
when you started working for the association, one of the reasons we we took you on was because of your business mindset and, and your appreciation of business. So tell us a bit about where your mindset begins. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting area in optometry because scope has really evolved in the last couple of decades and what used to be um, a, a, a profession of prescribing glasses and, um, you know, refracting eyes and prescribing glasses has become more of a health-based profession. So the scope's really shifted. And with that shift has become that more clinical mindset. You know, you're looking for eye diseases and that can really, that can take up a lot of the knowledge space in your head and a lot of the focus. So I think that's where the uni, that the, that's what the universities often produce is someone with that real clinical mindset. Whereas the, the core business of optometry hasn't changed. I mean, the public still see us as the person who will test my eyes and give me the solution to my visual needs. And I guess we just need to keep that. So the business mindset starts with that principle that this is the core business of being an optometrist. This is why you, you, you maybe decided to be an optometrist to help people. And you testing their eyes, refracting them and giving them the visual aids that will help them to go about their hobbies and their jobs and all those sorts of things is is the primary should be the primary focus obviously the health is really important as well but um so i think that's where it starts in the in the actual practice though the, the business the business mindset can start even before the patient enters the room so i've worked in practices where you be, the, the patient gets a questionnaire on arrival it might have further details you know your health fund and all of that but it might also have um what are you inter- you know reason for visit or what other things are you interested in chatting about and if the patient is driving that conversation, if they're saying, I get glare, or they're ticking the box for what was always interested in contact lenses, or um, are there glasses available for sport, then it's much easier to broach that conversation with them in the consulting room and also with the dispenser afterwards because they've initiated the, the conversation by ticking that box or filling out that field. Once they enter the room, then it's over to the optometrist to use their detective powers to find out what or everything they can about this patient they want to know they want to know everything so there's no point in just asking them the traditional questions about what medications they're on you need to ask them a whole bunch of questions about how they use their eyes are you the designated driver do you do much night driving um do you like art house movies that have subtitles do, what sort of hobbies do you have do you do crafts do you do fly fishing um, do you just like reading on the beach or in the garden? How do you do that? Do you put your sunglasses on top of your, your reading glasses? Like, how do you go about those things? So having a part of the history dedicated to their visual requirements of that unique person, that really helps to start to not out what your plan is going to be for providing a solution to those problems. And that often gets skipped, I think. So I think you can, you know, taking that history well um, and early in the consultation just straight away opens up all those opportunities for the patient to get lots of things they maybe hadn't considered getting because they now they know that they're they're available have you, have you yeah that? absolutely audrey and and to um add to that too the uh sometimes the uh, expectation is so much of that um, time in the consult room should be spent on the um, clinical side or the testing side, but the actual getting to know your patients is so critical. Mm-hmm. And that really is at the start throughout the consultation and at the end to make sure that 
all of the, their needs have actually been um, examined and, and solutions found. So it is important to get to know your patients, to actually like them and for them to actually get to know you because it can't feel like an interrogation where you're just asking one question after another. They actually do want to interact and engage with you as a person and being authentic as a person is so important as well for an optometrist. Yeah, good point. Um, my quick anecdote, Lily, is my brother-in-law is a mad keen fisherman. Um, terrible distance vision. And um, it, it took him about four goes to visit his optometrist before his optometrist suggested script sunnies. Mm. Out on the water, he's as blind yeah. as a bat. He could run into a manly ferry and you see it. <laughs> um, yeah. and, but he had, I know his optom very well and um, great optom, but he clearly hadn't asked him about his lifestyle and, and what was really important to him. And the shame of that too is then uh, as a patient, if you're doing those activities like your brother, then um, they suddenly think, why can't I see? Why haven't I got you know the right sort of sunglasses? They will actually be disappointed that their optometrist hadn't gotten to know them and asked those questions. So it's actually not, um, you know, it's 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 actually worse than having you know not even seen that person because you know you're expecting that that professional to know what they know about what products are available, what solutions are available, be it contact lenses, you know, all of those things should be covered in that consult. So if it's discovered that you've gone to an optometrist and later on you think, hey, hang on a minute, you know. I'm fishing or if you're cycling and you suddenly think, how come I haven't got prescription sunglasses? My optometrist never even brought that up. That's a shame. Yeah. That's yeah, a shame. It, it absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. And even, you know, there are off-the-shelf solutions for some of those things. Mm. Like I know some of the sunglasses ranges that you can just buy a pair with clear distance vision but a bifocal in the bottom for reading that, you know, you just need to know about these things so you can buy them. So you need somebody to tell you about them yeah. Yeah. and understand that you might have a need for them. Yeah. 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 So, look, while we're... We're sort of talking about making assumptions about what people need. Um, but one of the things that I know people do, and I'm sure they do it unconsciously, is we often make assumptions or profile people with regard to finances, budgets, that sort of thing. Um, Lily, have you seen people do that? Absolutely. And... Um Again, it's, it's, you know, it goes back to treat others how you would like to be treated. So you wouldn't want people making assumptions about you wherever you go. So you shouldn't in turn make those assumptions about your patients. Um, I think sometimes too it's important to go back to um, the reasons why we're doing anything. So the reasons why we chose to be optometrists, if you ask optometrists, by and large optometrists will say, I, I did optometry to help people. Um, to help people see better, to help help make their lives better. Um, but that can be at odds with the behaviour that we exhibit if we are making assumptions and, and choosing what that patient may or may not want. Um, and so sometimes it is a matter of um, not offering them all the solutions, be it contact lenses or, or certain types of, of glasses or even treatments like Ortho-K, that's an assumption that's, you know, on the optometrist, not on the patient, and that's really uh, not, not the right approach we should take. Um, I think also sometimes the behaviour comes from a different place. I also remember talking to an optometrist years ago about why um, he wasn't seeing a lot of contact lens patients, and I asked him the same question, why did you do optometry? I did that because I wanted to help people. I said, and what about contact lenses? And 
His answer really baffled me because it was at odds with his belief system. If his belief system was to help people, his answer to why he didn't do contact lenses was, well, the consultation fees are so low. And he wasn't a business owner. He was an actual employee. He said that's not, um, you know, in line with what I feel I should be, um, you know, having patients pay for my consultation time. And I said, well, how does that actually relate to, you know, you wanting to help people see better? Um, so it's, it's important to have those conversations sometimes uh, as optometrists with each other to unpack why we are behaving the way we are and making assumptions based on our patients or on what we feel about contact lenses or other other modes of, of practice. And that's really oftentimes related to how we think and feel rather than what we should be doing for our patients. Yeah. Um, Audrey, Lily was just mentioning contact lenses in particular. Um, and I know you work with... Um, with one of the, the busier contact lens practices in, in Sydney. Are they for everybody? Does, does everybody deserve contact lenses? They're not for everyone, but they're certainly for a lot more people. A lot more people can benefit from contact lenses than currently get offered contact lenses, yeah, particularly in Australia. I think we have got you know globally quite a poor performance in terms of um, encouraging our patients to try contact lenses and, and you know getting a contact lens onto their eye. and fitting them with, with, the, with the right lens to improve their life. So um, I know uh, ballpark that the overall sales attributed to contact lenses in a practice are less than 10% in Australia, whereas in other countries it's more like 50-50 or sometimes even higher. And, you know, that's really all our own doing. That's not, we don't need a patient to, to we, need, we don't need to wait for a patient to book in saying, I want to come in and get contacts. This should be a conversation we're having with most patients and there might be a particular patient patient has parkinson's disease for example you might think well that's not a great candidate to be handling contact lenses but age shouldn't be a, a reason not to bring it up um, we often uh, offer to put a pair of contact lenses in for a presbyopic patient for example um, for to try on to try on glasses or even a, a myope to try on their frames when they're choosing the glasses people who haven't worn contacts before are often surprised when we'll say shall I pop a pair of really thin, comfortable, disposable lenses in so you can see the frames that you're trying on. And that'll be, you know, I won't charge you anything. I'll remove them when, you want, when you're when you going home. And if you hate them in five minutes, we'll just take them straight back out. But they're very comfortable and people really love being able to see the glasses that they're trying on. It's not unusual after that that the patient will come back and say, gosh, I had no idea I could even wear contact mm -hmm. lenses. I didn't even know they came in my prescription. Or I had astigmatism. I didn't know I could get contact lenses. And it opens up a whole new possibility for them that they could have contact lenses for the times in their life. They're not going to convert fully from glasses to contacts, but they might think, well, I'd love contacts for social or sport or whatever. And no one's ever mentioned them to them before. So I think bringing it up either in the pre-consult the pre time or just before they're choosing the glasses, they're really easy ways into the conversation. Um, it could also be a conversation to have um, during the history taking when they're talking about their hobbies to say, well, do you also wear contacts? Did you know they come in your prescription even in a daily disposable form that you don't need to be messing around with any solutions? And um, it can change people's lives. Being, you know, being Having access to contact lenses for some of their activities can just open up things for them. And it can be really grateful and it can help, as Lily said, to build that trust in and that customer service where you get the return, you know, you, you build that patient and their whole family become your, your patients for life and your advocates because you've done something that's really helped them. Mm. And, and can I just chip in there with um, 
when people, when I was talking about looking for people to refer, you know, when you're asking around, people don't ask for a optometrist that's cheap. They'll ask about their reputation, yeah, you know. So, so really that is the key to actually being a fabulous optometrist. Really they're looking for somebody that they can trust, that's going to get to know you, that's going to really, in your interest, find the right solution. So that's what people would, would recommend their optometrist based on that type of situation. So... so. Interesting, interesting point from both of you. You've both used the word several times in this podcast, um, trust. Mm. And um, how does that sit? Because I, I know when I've spoken to some of our younger and older colleagues, not just necessarily younger ones, um, they feel as though um, it's a breach of trust if you try and introduce other products or solutions to a patient. They feel like they're being oversold. So so how does that notion of um, what about second pairs, um, what about task glasses, you know, golfing, that sort of thing, how does that conversation work with this concern that am I, am I compromising someone's trust in me by introducing other products? Um, look, I'm happy to go first with that one. It, it goes back to getting to know your patients. So if you feel that um, if you feel you're selling um, other other products, then you haven't really established that relationship. So it's about understanding that the patient comes to you expecting you to have the knowledge of all that that's available by introducing a hundred different items that is just a catalog. Whereas getting to know them and having and asking lots of questions and sharing experiences, not just of your own, but of you know, other patients that you've seen, you're, ha- you're building that relationship to actually be able to offer them a selection that suits them. So that's the don't introduce the photo album from your earlier. Correct, yeah. correct. But yeah. but 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 also, you know, patients are overwhelmed. They don't know what they don't know. They come in and expect you to have the knowledge. Um, there's the, the the initial trust equation is they expect that they expect all optometrists to, by virtue of being you know registered, have that that uh, that knowledge of you know what they're doing. But the next part is the how it links into them as a person. And so it's like looking at all the frames. There's just an overwhelming supply of frames on, on display. So the skilled dispenser and optometrist will know about how to bring that down to, you know, selecting what's appropriate for that patient. So giving them options but also making it more um, crafted for them. So, so, again, when it comes to introducing, you know, second pair options and all of the other things in the optometry room, it's not selling. It's actually respectfully being the one that's actually gotten to know them and listened and worked out what options might be appropriate. And they may not take up all those options, but the patient is making that choice. There's nothing worse than feeling like you haven't been given that choice. Um, a bit back to what we said earlier about, you know, whether we're judging our patients and thinking that they can't spend more, um, you know, luxury items. I mean, who are we to, to know who might like a particular brand or not? And if they can't afford that brand clothing or shoes, they can have that little piece of luxury in a pair of sunglasses or or aspirationally feel like they've they've got a little bit of that brand because they identified with that brand. But we shouldn't be making that decision. We should be allowing them to know what's available but having gotten to know them enough to be channelling some of those choices for them. Yeah, I've had that experience even in the last week where um, an older lady who wasn't a particularly fashionable-looking lady, she came in to get some new sunglasses, prescription sunglasses, 
And she ended up getting the most beautiful, you know, crystal encrusted Italian frames that were like well over a thousand dollars. And we even said to her, look, this is the most expensive frame in this in the, in the, in the practice. Um, we would love these, but we're saving up for them because she said, I don't, this, I don't spend money on anything yes, else. Yes. I want the most beautiful sunglasses that you can find that suit me. And she was delighted with them because, you know, she knew she was told about them. She was shown them, but she wasn't pushed into buying them. And I think everyone's had the experience when you're buying a new car where they say, you feel like you're being upsold. You know, do you want the special coating on the paintwork? Mm. But, you, you know, they haven't got to know you. Like, are you in the garage? Do you park in the garage all the time? Do you park on the street underneath, you know, fig trees where there's bats and you might, this actually might be an advantage? So depending on how, how much they've mm-hmm. um, got to know you and understand your unique requirements and then tailor, you know, that sort of suite of services for your needs, that's when you, people start to feel like they can, coming back to the trust where they, they feel, yeah, this person gets me. They know what would help me and it's worth spending the money in these areas. But you put it back to them to say, look, you know, if you ever want to try this particular product, we have them. Just come in and mention it to me we, or we can get it in another color or rather than feeling like, you know, the KPI, have I talked to them about okay. contact lenses, tick, you know, without asking anything yeah. about or considering what their individual needs or considering what they said earlier in the, in the consultation room. I'm known by my glasses. Everybody knows me by my glasses. I'm not interested in contact lenses. You can't then yeah, that's try right. and push contact lenses on that person. You've got to listen to them. Yeah. So... Exactly right. And if you have listened to them and really got to know them and if then you've introduced these options like second pairs and, 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 and additional sales and they've actually gotten what they wanted, like they, they, they didn't perhaps even know that they wanted or needed them, but if you've taken that time, so it's a time-orientated aspect too, and then they come out and have the pair of glasses, they will actually never think the price. They will think I'm getting really enjoyment out of this. You know, because my optometrist got to know me and yeah. I got what I needed. Rather and my than, problem is being solved. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. Rather than, oh, they've, they've sold me three times what I needed. That's yeah. that's that's the difference. So, that, yeah. yes, it is hard. It is, And that's part of our, our role as optometrists to learn that skill. That skill, the hardest part is the people side, <laughs> you know, getting to know yeah. and communicating with our patients, communicating with different styles of people, um, communicating differently to different people. You know, that's all part of... Our role, it's not just the clinical side. That's so critical. Okay. Can I take you off on a tangent slightly, the two of you? Um, so we've, we've just been talking about um, solutions and, and offering people things which are visible, beautiful frames, that sort of thing. Um, how do you start the conversation about getting into contact lenses? Because, Audrey, as you said before, I think it's way under 10%. Um, uptake in Australia we're, we're one of the worst in the world and we, we just I've been doing this 25 years and I don't think it's gotten any better in that time yeah. we, for some reason we just don't do contact lenses as well so how do you start that conversation well I, I totally agree with that we don't sell we don't do many lenses we often look for a customized solution we put everyone in the one lens you know these are these are my lenses and I'm going to try this particular pair again rather than tailoring it to the, to the patient's needs I think um, something like 70% of contact lens wearers fail in the first two years. And often the reason they fail is um, irritation and from the lenses, allergy. And, you know, spending the time to manage that from, from day dot. So talking to them about preservative-free solutions 
um, really going through the importance of keeping to toxic stuff out of your eyes, whether it's, um, you know, wetting drops or, you know, uh, preserved all-in-one type solutions. Um, all of that sort of thing is such an important part of getting them to succeed in lenses. And because if people succeed in lenses, it's a snowball effect. Then they tell other people, oh, I was really strong with my lenses. And then I went to see mm -hmm. Lily and she just turned my world around because she put me on this other solution or she put me on these mm -hmm. daily lenses or she put me on this special material that doesn't get dirty or, um, or whatever. So I think it's not just, you know, it's sort of commoditized now and it's not something that you can just have a one-size-fits-all approach to. Um, it needs a bit of thought. I also think that um, a lot of optometrists, they're not, they're not that comfortable with trying custom contact lenses in eyes. They, they're afraid they're going to hurt the patient or do the wrong thing. And you've got, to, you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to actually put a pair on. You might start the conversation, as I said earlier, by popping the pair on for them to try on frames. But when it comes to actually someone who's interested in getting fitted with contact lenses, um, you've got to listen to, you know, what, how sensitive they are. Do they already have dry eyes? Like what other factors kind of come into it to get them successful in their lenses? So, I mean, I don't know how much um, contact lens clinics they do at the various unis in Australia with hands-on hard lenses, for example, um, or is it, a lot of it is, is theory. I'm not sure. It's changed. Years ago, when I first came to Australia, I worked at the contact lens clinics for a couple of years. And People wear fitting lenses, but I, my, I'm not sure if that's in decline or they're getting. Certainly this year, would there be a lot less hands-on experience? So there's there's a lack of confidence maybe in their own skills mm -hmm. about putting contact lenses in, and maybe that somewhere, you know, subconsciously that stops mm -hmm. them from having the conversation with the more difficult patient, the person who's a presbyope and they have astigmatism. You know, it's not just the minus two mm -hmm. 30 year old who's really straightforward to fit. So. Um, yeah, some of it is professional confidence. Can I just, Lily, that's, that's a really interesting point because when I talk to people about why they don't fit contact lenses, yeah. one of the common answers is it's too hard, it's too time consuming. Yeah. And, and you've got a whole bunch of practices under your umbrella. Do you hear that as well or...? or? What at, do you get? Yeah, at times, at times. And I think it, and even just outside of our own um, group, but it is across Australia and I think it, it goes down to why the stats are so poor in Australia. Part of it is the confidence because they, they are not seeing enough contact lens patients at university and I talk to the grads every year at most of the universities in Australia and I actually ask them actively that question, how many patients do you see in your final year clinic? And you know, that, that's low. It's slowly increasing in a couple of the universities, but still relatively low. So they come out with less confidence in that area. And then depending on where they work and, and who their mentor is and what sort of practice, whether that confidence grows or it actually diminishes even. Um, so then it's the time. And that actually goes back to some that earlier comment from a previous optometrist who didn't think the consult fees were high enough for his time because it takes a lot more time. So there's this, this there's a whole lot of different factors. So there's more chair time, there's less confidence in the optometrists, um, particularly coming out in you know the last 10 years. There's trying to take an easier route because there is a lot of different choices. And so it needs to have, you need to have the knowledge of the contact lenses. You need to allow more chair time. You need to manage patient expectations. So it seems to be a harder solution. But on the flip side, 
your contact lens patients tend to be some of the most loyal patients that you will have in your practice because you have spent the time to get to know them. They, they, they are more frequent um, attendances, so therefore they're interacting with your practice more. Um, they will actually provide better word of mouth as well that you're, because, again, it's a, it's a more complicated type of um, solution, so it's not an off-the-shelf type of solution contact lenses, so they will be, you know, your spruikers for your business and practice. So there's a whole lot of reasons to actively undertake contact lenses, but really the most important reason is, again, going back to the why we did optometry in the first place is to help people and provide those options. So um, the... the uh, I think, Andrew, and I may have gone off topic here, but the, <laughs> original, the, the original question may have been, uh, you know, is it is it taking too much chair time? Is that still, how do we manage that? You manage it by saying, look, the patient, you know, you're there to look after them for life. Where, wherever they are in their cycle of life, whatever their current circumstances are, you need to provide the time and the effort that is required to help them. Mm. And if you if you use that approach... You will find the time. You will make the time to do that. And I think also if you charge for that approach. Mm. I think it's harder in a corporate where the fees are all set for you. But in an independent practice, there's no reason people shouldn't be charging for the time. Mm. That that excuse of, oh, I didn't feel I was getting re, you know the right um, um, you know pay for the, the amount of time that I put into this patient, that shouldn't exist. That mm. should just be, well, I charge Four hundred dollars for mm. for a you know a contact lens or whatever whatever number of dollars for a contact lens consultation because it takes up ten hours of my time altogether. By the mm. time they come back for review and we do a few exchanges and we do mm. this that and the other and you know I think people are nervous that they'll they'll lose business that they'll end up going somewhere cheaper. But the thing is they might go somewhere cheaper and then they'll fail in their contacts because the, mm. the approach of the bulk build contact lens consult it isn't working. People are failing in contact lenses. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine seventy percent of people fail in the first two years, they're all un- unhappy customers. They didn't work out for them. Perhaps if they the model changed so that there was a bit more investment at the beginning, a bit more of a tailored approach, um, and, and cost a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. then you get patients that are happier in the lenses because the lenses are more suited to them and the solutions are more suited to them. But I, I also think that um, you know. The contact lens patient evolves. They, they also grow. So mm-hmm. they might be 32 when you see them first. Mm-hmm. And the next thing, you know, time's ticking along and they're 45 and they're, they're struggling to read. And what do you do? Do you get the readers to go on top? So, you know, it's not unusual in our practice to have a, um, a patient with, who has three or four different, different um, options with their contact lenses, with their disposable lenses. They'll have, you know, a right and left eye for distance, but they might also have... Uh, a left eye or a non-dominant eye that's one by after less that they can read in and something in between that they use for presentations or going out for dinner or whatever. And they'll order all of those lenses. Yeah. So you, you're sort of having a, you know, or they might say, oh, I like the multifocals for social, but they're no good for when I'm at work. So it's really good for us to keep explaining to them what's new, how things have evolved and come on what might be a good thing for you to try mm-hmm. and not necessarily have to try not to order one thing. They could have a range of options, like you have a range of shoes. You could have <laughs> a range of contact lens options um, and a range of glasses options and you can choose what suits that particular circumstance. So, yeah, I think we're really under-servicing our patients in this area at the moment. Andrew's rolling his eyes at the yeah. notion of a range of shoes. Yes. Um, we've been talking just in the last few minutes about appropriate fees 
And Lily, I know in, in IQ you've got practices physically located all over the place. A lot of them are just in, in you know, sort of um, normal, inverted commas, suburban settings. Um, and, what, and again, one of the things that we hear is people have this real reluctance to charge for the technologies and the testing, the diagnostic testing that's coming out, OCT and those sorts of things. How, does, how do you start those conversations with the patient? Mm. Look, I think, it, it, again, it goes back to explaining what is involved, what technology you have, why. I think the, the key um, question always to go back to is why. why. Why are we doing this test? Why do we feel it's so important? And, again, if, if you've built that trust and the patient knows this is your professional decision to, to undergo this test and this test or diagnostic procedure is not covered by Medicare, it is an out-of-pocket expense, they wouldn't, shouldn't question it. So sometimes it's, again, trying to get to the end point, doing the test and then charging them, but not spending the time beforehand establishing the why and, and what's involved. And that's the part that perhaps some, you know, optometrists rush through or, or hope someone else covers that for them. But it is up to us as optometrists to do that, to explain that, because that um, helps everything move smoothly. And certainly um, investing in technology is so critical. I mean, when I think back to when I graduated, probably more so in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been an explosion of different technologies. And they are expensive because optometry is a small field the uh, equipment is expensive and very uh, technical and very um, uh, difficult also because it's not a, you know, volume thing. So understandably, we need to make sure that we're providing what we can to our patients, but that has to come at a price to continue. Sometimes when people say, I don't want to charge anything, well, how will you even keep your practice open to be able to help yeah. the patients? It actually has to be funded somehow. And patients understand. We sometimes also have this um, uh, mistaken belief that they expect everything for free. It's actually our mindset more so than the patients. So patients are, by and large, pretty cluey enough to understand um, that, you know, the way the world works. So they do expect that um, whatever is being undertaken, whatever equipment and investment in that equipment, as well as the education and, and, and you know, that is required to utilise the equipment correctly, comes at a price. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that um, I'm just thinking of a practice that I occasionally work in. It's different to the, the practice where I work in regularly, which does charge out of pocket for, um, you know, for the the... The technology and this other practice they're trying to charge so they say quite apologetically at the end of the consultation would you like to have an OCT it's going to cause an additional x amount of dollars and most people say no because they haven't explained as you say why they're getting it and so when I've worked there with Flocoot they'll say oh how Audrey how come so many patients had an OCT today and I'll say because I explained to them what it does and how amazing it is and we didn't even have this 15 years ago yeah. and now we can look at all these structures under the eye and get a baseline of their eye when they're young to compare as they get older look for early signs of disease this and then not only do they pay it but they say oh that's the best test I had in ages because they're they're more out of pocket but they feel they've had a more thorough exam so I don't think we should ever be apologizing for offering the world's best practice optometry and um, and also not assuming because someone has come to a um, a budget, um, you know, brand or a or a, a a corporate that offers two pairs for hundred dollars or you know one pair free or whatever 
that those patients don't want to get the best eye care available and they're, that they're not willing to pay out of pocket for things. Because most people, when you explain how, how it's relevant to their vision and why it would be a good idea, there's, I don't find any resistance from those patients at all. And it is a good thing for them to have done. Um, I don't think there's any compromise to integrity there. It's always a good thing to get a baseline um, image uh, of the back of the eye to compare when they're older and, and then to you know, haven't done it regularly enough to look for new signs of, you know, any signs of early eye disease. So I think we do ourselves a disservice by kind of being apologetic about these additional technologies because maybe we didn't need them or use them at the start of our careers and they kind of come to us a bit later. I think it's easier for the, maybe for the new grads coming out of uni to, to know, you, of course you have to do imaging. Mm. That's just one of the basics of a test. Mm. So, um, We've sort of come to, to the end of our time. We could, we could sit here and talk about this all day. Um, can I ask the, the two of you, I'll, I'll go one at a time, um, just if you've got any, any gems, any particular things that you wanted to, to leave with people who are listening, uh, could be early career optoms or maybe people who've been in, in the, uh, the profession for a while, just any, any tips about clinical and business mindsets? I'm happy to go first. Really? Look, yes, um, I I think one of the things, I mean, we've talked a lot about getting to know your patients, but, um, you know, the whole patient journey or experience that they have with you, you want this to build to be a lifetime experience with you if you stay in the same practice or even if you don't, even if you're just locuming, you still have to think you want that patient to continue to see optometry as an important part of their lives. So maybe, you know, you also need to add at the very end, because again, sometimes you've gone through a long consultation, you've had a lot of communication, and then you just want to keep moving on. That last um, question, and it can be the optometrist and anyone in the practice that interacts with that patient, should really be asking, look, have you got anything else that I can, you know, that, that you want to ask me? Have I covered everything that you need today? Um, just those simple questions at the very end of a consultation, at the very end of the dispense, just opens that door once more for a patient because if we put ourselves in the patient's shoes and we've been somewhere where it's not our world, so imagine we are now as optometrists in a, in a totally different environment, how often have you wanted to maybe just bring up one more question at the end and you're just embarrassed or you just feel like, oh, gosh, it'll, it'll show I didn't listen or pay attention enough if I ask something else. So think how the patient might feel. There might not be any questions, but there might be. Or there might be still something that they didn't divulge at the very start of the consultation and suddenly, you know, don't feel it's appropriate at the end to bring it up unless you're opening that door. So opening that door is really such a really important way to ensure that you really have covered everything. So, um, yes, just asking, have, have I covered everything with you today? Is there anything else you want to ask at the end of that consultation? It's just my little tip because sometimes something comes up, sometimes it doesn't, and that's just an affirmation or a validation of what you've covered. Good advice. Thanks, Lily. Audrey, what are you thinking? I, I just, just continuing from Lily's point there, I think that a lot of people are very time poor these days. They're, they're doing four or five different things at once. And if they do get a chance to go to the optometrist, they want to try and maximize that. They don't, they, if, if that's the chance to talk about these other things, well, talk to me about them while I'm here. I don't have time to come back another time and do this. So you're doing a disservice if you're not bringing up all those options. And if you think the contact lenses could complement their life somehow, so for sport or social, make sure you bring them up. Um, I, I would also say, put away any ideas you may have on how much money your patient wants to spend on their glasses. 
Um, and just because they've chosen a particular um, style of practice doesn't mean that that's all they want or they need. And if you take a thorough history and keep coming back to this, getting to know the patient, build up the vision solution plan for them that caters to their needs. And they may not get it all at once. They may, you can put it all in their, in their chart to say they're going to get their multifocals now and a pair of computer glasses. But after Christmas, when their health fund renews, they're going to come back and get their prescription sunglasses then. And then we've put a few other nice-to-haves on the list for maybe, maybe if that you know if that becomes viable during the year next year they can get their their pair of um, you know prescription um, polarized glasses or whatever that is. So um, I think that's an important one. The and the last thing is yeah if if you are involved in choosing their eyewear, quite often optometrists hand over to someone else for that role, but not always. So sometimes you end up being the dispenser. You you end up being the one that goes through the frames with the patient, and just show them the frames regardless of cost that will help them to look their best um, and and fit and feel their best because mm -hmm. it's an important thing. And for some people that is the thing. They don't have as you said they don't have the Louis Vuitton bag or they don't have the Gucci shoes or whatever but they have the really beautiful glasses and that makes them feel really good about themselves. And that does them, you know, that does a good thing for them as well. So I think, yeah, that's my, they're my final tips, I think. All right. Look, thank you, Lily. Thank you, Audrey, for contributing to Optometry Talks. Really appreciate it. Um, just to, to wrap up, for our early career colleagues, uh, we previously released an episode of Optometry Talks on the seven crucial steps, steps to starting out. Uh, covering the basics of getting started, which includes things like how to register with APRA, getting your Medicare provider number, prescriber number, those sorts of things. Um, don't forget, we've also got a downloadable resource on our website called Starting Out, which has got information in it. And we did, we did um, two episodes called The First 90 Days, which gives a lot of practical advice on first 90 days in clinical practice. And what I wish I'd known before I started practice, which deals with the kinds of things that they possibly don't teach you in uni or you were asleep on, um, but commonly come up during the first months of practice. These podcast episodes and resources are all available on the Optometry Australia website, which is optometry.org.au. Um, look for the New South Wales tile and there's a page called public, Publications and Podcasts and it's all there. Um, we'll be back soon with a podcast on taking a regional job and how to overcome the hurdles that you might encounter. Uh, we think you'll find that one really interesting. So thanks for listening and we will see you next time. All the best. This episode of Optometry Talks was brought to you compliments of Optometry New South Wales ACT. 